This episode of the Business Samurai Podcast is brought to you by Lamar Marie Popcorn. You can get now one bag and get a second bag for half off with the code BARKER at checkout. So if you like your snacks a little sweet, a little salty, a little mixture of both, go check out LamarMarie.com and all of the flavors that they have for your next snacking sensation. That is LamarMarie.com with code BARKER at checkout for buy one, get one, half off. Welcome to the Business Samurai Podcast. I am your host, John Barker. Got a really good close friend of mine with me today. Ryland Jones is the chief pop pop master and director of deliciousness for the Richmond, Virginia-based Lamar Marie's Gourmet Popcorn, where he is not only helping people quench their hunger for a delicious gourmet snack, but helping local schools and nonprofit organizations raise money through their 50-50 fundraising program. After leaving the Air Force as a staff sergeant, Ryland began searching for his place in the world of business. While spending some time as a government contractor in corporate America, he still spent a lot of time honing in his business acumen. Day-to-day, he is a husband, father, and still running his growing gourmet popcorn business on not only a local stage, but as a national e-commerce brand with a site set on expansion to more markets. He's also the sponsor of this podcast now. Use code BARKER for buy one, get one 50% off. Hey, thanks for so having thanks me, for being here, man. Appreciate it. So jump into, once you decided to go into business for yourself, what was the allure, what was the attraction of business? For the popcorn business specifically, after doing a bunch, I don't say a bunch, a handful of other things, seeing how they go, some work and some not, like what can we put together where actually it can run pretty much by itself. I can step away and it seem like, we stumbled upon the popcorn business, and that's what we do. And we're almost there. So this wasn't a situation where you were like a, a popcorn fiend every night and stuff. It was, uh, you thought there was a, I don't want to say an easy yeah. entry in the market, because there are obviously always startup and stuff like that. But it was like, hey, this could be something that can turn into a revenue generating. Yeah, yeah, wrong. And until we got into it, I didn't realize like how much we could do with it. but. It was more like what you said. I was like, I like popcorn. I got seen it done. I knew somebody that was in that space, and they lent me some of their knowledge. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is probably, I just felt like when I first saw it, it was like two years between when I first saw it and I had a little bit, like I was intrigued by the whole concept. Then it wasn't until two years later that I was I actually felt, okay, this is a thing. And that two years was probably like, it just kept coming back up in my mind. This is so now I was like, this is probably the next thing. Let me dig a little deeper, and then that's how we got into it. Gotcha. So I don't want to talk about these other things, but I okay. want to use this as a launching pad to my next question. I know you've had experience and do a lot with DJing and in the fitness industry, and had done some work in there. When starting the gourmet popcorn, how much more of start up dealing with food with having to go through some hurdles with food and in the machinery to make that work versus some of the obviously dj you got equipment with that but you don't it's not a food product you've got you don't have the barriers how hard was that as as a barrier to entry to navigate because you're selling food to people and people people can be i i know people that won't eat their cousin's <laughs> potato salad at a family reunion yeah, much less yeah, walking yeah, yeah. into some much less walking into a store to make to start building that trust that what you've got yeah. is quality yeah, yeah. product it was, you know, it was definitely a lot different because also it's our first retail based thing the other two like the dj thing and the, and the fitness thing is really service based like you need gear for the dj thing like you said but they're really service based right. primarily so this had a big hurdle it was retail primarily and it was food like you said 
so the learning curve was pretty steep at the beginning because you got to learn all the food stuff. Like I had no idea about any of that stuff. So, you know, you know, a lot of phone calls and emails with Department of Health, with Department of Agriculture, since we're in Virginia, it's both when you first start, and then we're really under Department of Agriculture. And then all the equipment that you got to get, it's an ex it can be an expensive startup depending on how you start. You can get start cheap, but I don't particularly like to do it that way. I want, what do we need so we don't got to buy it again in six months or 12? Let's just get the thing, or as close as we can as the thing, so we don't have to worry about it ever again. That was the biggest hurdles for here. And then financing all, we bootstrapped this thing from the ground. And to be honest, we were under-financed, which is what led to the first couple of years sucking. But uh, that was the big hurdle at the beginning for us for this business. I know that uh, trying to spec out the equipment, How, if you, when you're entering a new market space that requires specialized equipment like that, what was the strategy for researching so you knew you were buying the thing that says, Hey, we're starting out. You talked about being undercapitalized, but to go, you're making the right sized investment and getting something that's quality, not a piece of machinery that's going to break down every two weeks. And you got the repair dude in there trying to, because you, you pump so much quantity out there, this thing's breaking down. and can't handle the capacity. So what was the process for you going? We're just starting out, but we want to make sure we're right size this for the next 24 months, maybe or 36 months. How did you go about that process? Was it buying the equipment, leasing the equipment, and even evaluating it, if it bouncing it off other people yeah. that have been in the industry, or did you just yeah. use the course? <laughs> we, uh, I did all of the above. So we, there were, I talked to who, who was in the business, what kind of equipment he used, like he's into that kind of, that space too, of really researching equipment. So we, we got some advice from him. We did lease at first, I wouldn't do that again. But when you're a startup and you're bootstrapping, at that time, I have since learned a whole bunch of other avenues where you can get funding. But at that time where I thought I had exhausted every like financing option, we ended up leasing it, which I would not recommend unless you absolutely have to. If I had to do it again, I would just buy it outright. But also, we had to dive deep into, luckily, my stepdad has his own maintenance and repair business. So he's an electrician, plumber, all this stuff. So he also knows commercial electric. Because... To get the equipment, it's not plug and play. Like you can't just plug it into any outlet. You know what I mean? All this equipment oh, yeah. has specialized outlets. It has used a certain amount of amperage, a certain amount, like, and you got to put it on its own circuit. You can't just stick it in anyway. So you got to run all new electric. So that was the other part I had to learn. Oh, now that I had this, how do we get it to even work in the space? Like, how, and then how much is that going to cost us to have an electrician come in? and run all new circuits from the breaker box, which we ended up doing ourselves actually, which is a whole thing to run. And we ran electric. This episode of the Business Samurai Podcast is brought to you by Lamar Marie Gourmet Popcorn. Let's face it, we all like to snack. We all like to get up and go to the pantry and see what's in there. And what better way is when you open that door and you see a big flavored bag of your favorite popcorn sitting there. My wife and I have been fans of Lamar Marie popcorn for many, many years. And the ownership team over there have graced us with a big discount code. Buy one, get one half off. So the next time you need a good snack, go to LamarMarie.com, enter the code Barker at checkout, and save a ton of money. And if you're looking for a suggestion, my absolute favorite is the chicken and waffles. For expansion. So to me, again... What are we doing so we don't got to repeat this step again? Okay, so we think, in my head, we just we going to blow up. At some point, we're going to blow up. It might have happened in two years. It might take four or five. 
But when we blow up, what other pieces of equipment are we going to need? We're going to need two of these. All right, so we got one. We're going to need two of this one. We're going to need two of this one. We need two of that one. Instead of just running three new circuits, now let's just run all six right now. And I'm doing like this because we, we had to go up in the A-frame and come back down and all this trussing and all this stuff. So that's what we did. We just ran all the electric, even for expansion. So the lines are there. When we ready to tap in, all we got to do is tap in when new equipment gets here. Okay. Yeah. And I guess that makes sense because that's that part of going, how much would that cost you down the road to go yeah. do that? While you're already up there, the cost is probably much more minimal than yeah. starting over from scratch. Obviously, that all makes a lot of sense. When I know your bigger plan is obviously to go nationwide with this through partnerships and you've gotten the, I know the local baseball team, you yeah, know, in Richmond, the, I think it's the squirrels now as a major contributor was part of being able and trying to think that through. And you talked about being the retail with the walk-in traffic being smaller percentage of your overall revenue was part of the having more workspace then to, for expansion versus going, blowing up the retail front end for walk-in traffic and local advertisement type of stuff. Where was your thinking with picking your spot and the location? Yeah, it did come to mind. We started off doing events. So when we were looking for a space, I knew off the break we need to have a space where we could still do what we need to do, have the retail, but then also still do events without it seeming cluttered and trying to do both of those things in the same area. We, I don't even know how many spaces we looked at. We probably looked at 15 different spaces before we found the one that we were in, that we're in right now. We're in a 2,400 square foot spot. And again, it was, we're gonna grow. Yeah, I might be a little bit too overly cocky about how quickly we would grow, but I knew we would grow. So it's like, do we get a little tiny spot and then, yeah. You gotta be optimistic about yourself. That's true, sometimes it bites me in the butt. (laughs) But this one turned out good, okay, it bites me in the butt at first. So we were in this space because I said, yeah, we have all this unused room now, but if we get like a 900 square foot space and things go, we're going to have to move. We're going to have to move in 18 months. This is a whole nother expense. Like it's expensive to move. You build out and then 18 months later, you got to move and build out again. We're talking probably 20, 30 grand to make this transition. So I was like, it's, it sucks now. We're heavy on the front, but we're going to end up using all this space. And then fast forward to now, like we use almost all of the space we probably use 85 percent of the space at this point and our lease is about to coming up we got to figure all this stuff out again to renew our lease if we stay there we're actually going to have to reconfigure how we've done it inside to expand the kitchen out so we can do more capacity we can process more produce so that was my thought then and it was a pain to find a spot it was because you have very specific needs and not everything. It's a, you're handcuffed by what's available at the time you're trying to make that move. So it took us a few months to find something. And like I said, we found it. It was too big at the time for sure, but we wanted to make sure we had that retail space up front and still had the space in the back to produce enough and do all of our event stuff and the website stuff that we knew what was coming along. So do you feel like in the early stages then that you may have thought, and again, it's that being that optimistic that maybe your the expected growth was slow in the front, but now you're getting that snowball down the hill mentality, and now it's picking up steam. So for anybody that's thinking about starting up, whether it's yeah. a service or a product base like yours, that <clears throat> be a little bit more conservative in the beginning of what your growth ramp is going to be. But once you start getting some traction, then that that old hockey stick mentality thing, slow, so slow, then boom, is that kind of what you experienced and were able to? Make sure you yeah, have the right yeah, size investments up front. We were, we were super slow. Like, walk-in was like nothing, very little. And then once we 
like we was like we wanted walk in and then we wanted events to supplement and then the way it ended up happening after several months of walking wasn't really happening then we switched and went more events off-site events and then the walk-in was something and that once we said okay that's really how we're going to be it's things started changing for us because you got to be you got to be nimble you can say this is what we're going to do but then once you actually start doing it it might not work that way and you got to be you got to be okay with making a shift everybody's using the word pivot during the pandemic if you want to stay open everybody's talking about business got to pivot business got to pivot yep. Like you did, and you do, and now that word is just used all the time. But that's basically what you gotta be ready to do. You gotta be ready to make a shift, both mentally and inside your business, so that you can make money. We're here to make money. No one's here to lose or go out. Of- that can happen if you don't recognize what's happening, and then make a change as quick as you can. Let's talk about yours in particular, because obviously there's if you walk into stores out there, and I won't mention any of the names, but you see a lot of other brands that are out there that have been in the yeah. market spaces that I know you want to enter. They're in the Targets, they're in the Starbucks and stuff like that. What, when you entered and said, I'm, we're going to do popcorn, and now we've talked about mm-hmm. your startup and right-sizing the equipment, what did you do to differentiate your popcorn offering from the others that, were on, that are on the well, market right now? What's weird is a lot of the stuff that we do like it was the plan from the beginning. Some stuff hasn't wasn't we didn't have to transition into. From the very beginning, when I looked at all the other brands that I could find, national, regional, local, and what they did, and this goes back to this like the experience from the service based stuff. There's tons of DJs. How do you differentiate yourself? You just got to be different in the marketplace. And to me, different is I'm not going to have a race to the bottom on price because if you can't be the cheapest, there's no point in racing. In price and we want to have a brand that comes across like a higher-end brand we didn't want it to be like a lower-end brand so from the beginning everything now we said we want to be a higher-end brand everything has to now come from that or fall under that and that's what we did everything from the name like the name had to sound a certain way and I think we nailed it like the packaging is simplistic and clean but also comes across like when you look at it, you don't think it's a dollar. That's just not how it's going. We're just not that brand. And I never had a desire, and I don't think I ever will have a desire, to be in a big box store. So we don't even want to be in Target. We don't want to be in a grocery store. We don't want to be at Costco, Sands. Like, we don't want to do any of that. I'm not going to say never, but for right now. Because to do that, like, you have to, you just can't be a boutique brand and be in those stores. They don't go together. They clash. Because a boutique brand, your price point is already higher. So you're not going to be able to be into those things. They don't. They won't want you in there anyway. You're priced out of being in that particular space. But with some of your offering, though, one of the things, and for people, go check out LamarMarie.com and just look at all the uh, the flavor options. It's one of those things where you have tons of what you offer on the store is definitely more, I think, than some of the other yeah. competitors. I've not really looked into it, but I know the offering. And then if you actually step into the store itself, it's like walking into a the Baskin Robbins of yeah. gourmet, pop, you know, <laughs> yeah. gourmet popcorn because of all the different flavoring that you've got in there. So talk about how how many different flavors do you usually try? Mm-hmm. I know you cycle in and out. You just released a new one I think I saw recently. So what how many do you usually keep on hand and how what do you use as the deciding factor of all right it's time to cycle this one out and let's try to bring in something new that we haven't done before 
What's how, what's your workflow look like? We cycle that? out seasonal, so we got some that are staples. We keep them year round, and then we have some that are seasonal. Then we have some limited edition. So we're always going to cycle by season. Probably I say anywhere from like ten to twenty flavors are going to be seasonal. We keep ten to twenty, uh, fifteen. We fifteen to twenty staples okay. are year round, and then the store we keep about forty five flavors total on the shelf. Online, we have 16 for logistical reasons. When we first launched online, we had way more, and it was a nightmare. So we had to scale that down a lot. So now we have about 16. And for me, the flavors, of course, when we started, it was like, what flavors are out there right now? Okay, these ones, cool. Let me taste all of them. All right, this is what they taste like. How can we make ours better? So if someone tries to compare, we just beat the other one. Like, I'm super competitive anyway. You know that. And we're going to, like, I don't have sports left anymore, so we got to beat up somebody somehow. And in this case, it's... Popcorn. We're going to be better than a national brand. So if you come in, we convert people all the time. If you think your brand is the brand and you come to my store, you're now a fan of ours. Ours is just better, period. So that's that's how we do the flavors. And to launch a flavor, like we might go through two to ten different cycles of a flavor before we even put it out because I want to make sure it's spot on. Like I'm the final decision maker on flavor. And what we launch and if it should be out there. So are you in? So are you in the back? And I've never asked you this before, but what was that new one that you guys? Uh, yeah. the, the soy wasabi, I think is. Yeah, the, the soy wasabi. Yeah, the new one. Yeah, that you're back there, like <laughs> mad scientist or the yeah. Swedish chef from the Muppets, yeah. going and really experimenting and playing with this, and go, okay, these first ten are are not good, but man, nailed it on the eleventh. Let's give yep, this a try. Pretty much. So when it comes to the new one, the new flavors. Now, at this point. When I'm like, all right, we're going to do a new flavor. I take some input from the team because they know how to make stuff. They know how to make everything we already make. And a byproduct of that is learning the precise behind it. But now, the first few, I don't actually physically have to be there. I just tell them, hey, do this on this version. Here's version one, two, three, four. Here's, a, here's what we're going to do on this one. Change this for the second one. Change this for the third one. Change this for the fourth one. And make them all. And then... When I'm at the store, I try them all. We actually all try them all. And then as a staff, we collectively decide which one of that set is the best one for what flavor we're trying to achieve. And it's always funny because we got one guy, his taste buds are actually like, there's something with his taste buds. And I don't know if it's one, like a medication he's on or something or whatever. But it, like, he was like, oh man, this tastes like mustard. And I'm like, how in the world does this taste like mustard, yo? Like every then I started learning everything tastes like mustard. He's like, nah, man, this tastes like ketchup. But everything tastes like ketchup and mustard. He's not allowed. That's a running joke with like with the team. He's not allowed to tell me anything. Like I don't. You can't tell me anything about flavor. If he's like, man, this tastes a little bit off. No, I don't believe you. Get someone else to taste it. Cause you think everything tastes like ketchup and mustard anyway. You're not reliable on this one. <laughs> <laughs> How much do the correct me if I'm wrong? Is Snickerdoodle yeah, is Snickerdoodle your probably is, yep. most popular flavor, correct? I yep. So how long how long when you release a new flavor or you're looking to do the cycle, do you give the sell cycle enough to, to before you sit there and go, Okay, this one didn't work out, let's shelve that for now, maybe we'll come back mm -hmm. to it in six months or a year and we'll cycle in something new or bring back one because you said stuff was seasonal. How does your 
how does your tracking process function with something is working or not working to, to give it, particularly with a new product? And I've been yeah. curious about this with other places. You bring something new to the market. People know you as gourmet popcorn, but you've got your, your three new flavors that you're, that you just launched that you've been working on. How long do you give something before you go, ah, man, this isn't working the way I was expecting to, or, oh man, this is yeah. good. This is on track. This is my baseline yeah. I'm aiming for. Do you have things like that that you- Yeah, we usually do three account? months. It's usually about three months in the store. Okay. If we doing it in the store only, we, we give it two to three months. Now, that being said, there's some off the break, and it seems like a really good idea. We put it up, and then it takes three weeks to just go through the first bin. I'll be like, all right, when this is done, we're done. But sometimes it's like, look, just bag this up in one big bag, and the next person that actually liked this, of the few people that did, we're just going to sell them this bag at a discount just to get it off the shelf we don't we don't want to waste anything but if it's not selling we're also not going to leave it up there and this is one of i think the differentiators between us and just a slew of other i'll say like local to regional type brands who you can we can make up to 100 some flavors and i've seen this in every city that i go in like i try to go to the popcorn store there's one there i want to see how it's done some are really done you mean some i'm like damn why, i wish i would have thought of this thing that they do this is a really good idea and some of them are just eh. and some of them they have flavor I'm like damn this is actually better than ours let me let me go back to the drawing board because we've changed recipes over the years too we've enhanced stuff you know what i mean like, i want to always make it better one of the things i think that sets us apart is yes we have the wall of popcorn and it looks nice we have enough flavors where you're wild by the number of flavors, but not so many flavors that if you wanted to try them, it would take days. But like the sampling, and it would be stale. That was a, that's the thing that blows my mind. Some people, well, I've been in show, they have 80, 90 things, and they're in big bins. But like how, that's a nightmare logistically to do, and I don't feel like you can service your customers the best way that way. Because it's going to be stale. A lot of it's going to be stale. How often are you making these flavors? I wasn't even thinking, that, that brings me to a point, because I know one of the things with your product is you don't, because it it doesn't have, a, it, it doesn't have to maintain a two-year shelf life or a year mm -hmm. shelf life or something like that, like these big box stores do. It's fresher and it tastes fresher. And I say this yeah. unapologetically, yeah. you do tell the difference. Obviously, I've had white cheddar popcorn out of the bag from the gas station because I grabbed it from a snack. It does not taste nowhere near as good as my wife loves the buttery white cheddar. It mm. doesn't taste the same. There's not the freshness. But so I didn't even think about it from that perspective, but also from the business case decision. Because there's a case study. This is like a popular case study that's out there. Whether this was a hypothetical or this was actually a true story or not, I don't know. But you got two people selling candles mm -hmm. at, a, at the county fair. One dude's got five. The other dude's got 50. The dude that only has five choices makes more yeah. sale because of that decision fatigue. They're not that overwhelmed. So that you were highlighting that saying, you got these dudes got 90 different flavors in there. Somebody walks in, they're wild, but at the same time, they're like, I don't yeah. know what to pick and then walk away because they have too many choices and, and that can be a negative. Is that, is, besides the logistical factor of yeah. the nightmare of trying to service that many, is that, does that cut? It, that one of the reasons why the website itself is so limited. Hey, you want to try a bunch of maybe or oddball flavors? Come to the store, shoot us a mm -hmm. message, maybe or something like that. But the website, we got yeah. our top ones. Yeah, right here. and that's how the, that's how the website is. And really, when we do events like these off-site events, where you know we do Virginia State Fair, we do we do 
anywhere now that events are back open post pandemic and stuff. And I think this year we're up, we'll be in the sixty some events this year, and then next year we'll be ninety plus events wow. next year as well. Because we just keep adding on and adding on. We got into a few this year that it's one company, but they do twenty some events. Like, and we're in all of them. You know what I mean? Like, we got that concert series. We had flying squirrels and then there's a couple other deals still being worked out but when we go to those places we only take eight flavors six to eight <clears throat> and it's usually closer to six and that's why decision fatigue like so on the, from the customer side we don't want to overwhelm them with too many decisions they have to make so we only gonna bring our top six then from our side we know we only need to bring our top six so it slims down all the process for us on the back end on the business side and then if we want to bring an extra, it might be one of the new ones. We might test out a new flavor at events before it even makes it to the store because we can see more people. Some of the events we do, it's a three-day event. The event itself might have twenty to 30,000 people coming through. We might see 1,200 people in three days at our booth, right? So we can test flavors hmm. way faster. We can get feedback way faster if we roll something out in, at an event. And sometimes that's what we do. And if it, at, at the event, if it goes well, boom, we're going to put it in the store. At the event, if it doesn't go well, and we listen to the feedback, then we go back to the drawing board. You talked about, I know, setting up that boutique brand, that gourmet brand of being higher than the other players that are in the market space, mm -hmm. again, uh, some of those national ones. The only other thing that I can think of that relates to that, only because my mother-in-law worked there when I first met Aaron, my wife, yeah. was the gourmet chocolate shop. The people that are in the back making chocolate is my closest comparison to that because she worked in one, actually a pretty famous one, like President's Kingdoms. My mind's blanking on the name. Beside... Okay. It's somewhere in New Hampshire. I'm blanking. It's been too many years ago. But besides, like you say, walk-in traffic and online stores, what are the, like you said, staying out of the boutique, but being able to maintain that premium price point because you got a premium product, what are those other outlets were, that are more volume sales that are targeted? We've talked about the, the minor league baseball team, but what are some of those other areas that you go, man, I'd really like to be in here. I think this serves well mm -hmm. to boutique brands versus the main national mainstays what are some of those other ones that you look at and go i mean mainly is the over? events man that's why we push it and when i say and we go to a specific type of event and i've talked to some people and this is across the board and this is where you and i are like marketing nerds right like we're in it and we know you can have the right message and the wrong audience and it appears as though what you're selling isn't good but you're talking to the wrong people this is the exact same thing only it's product based we could go to, and we at the beginning, we would do this. We would choose the wrong event, but this is also we're still learning what type of, what's the best place for us to be as far as events are concerned. We want to be in events that are more boutique -y. Like, you go, the people that come to these events, it's a higher product offering. These are all handmade things. If it's art, like these are, the artist is there. If they are sculpture, whatever they do, they're there. If it's clothes, they make it for the most part. Like we're at makers events and artisan events. These by default demand a higher price because it's a premium product. We're just in line with these ones as a gourmet food. And we're in, usually they have a gourmet food section where they let a handful of artisan type makers in. And one of the criteria is you have to make it. Some of them is so strict that 
you can't even send a representative. I couldn't even send one of our team members. I physically have to be there. It has to be the maker to be at the event. Yeah, yeah. So you can't yeah. even, no matter how many people you have on your team, like for this specific event, I have to actually show up and be there. What's that about me? I love events, but those are the things that like, so it makes me salivate those type of events because it's high volume. I mean, you working that 10, 12 hours of that event each day, you hustling. Yeah. Oh. Oh yeah. it's, it's a hopping thing. There's people these there are high traffic yeah. events that are worth your time, you know, loading up and, and heading down there and then continuing to spread yeah. uh spread brand. Yeah, yeah, like exactly. Said, that's that's what we I mean, this is kinda of like a boots on the ground grassroots approach that you just happens to produce a really good amount of revenue as a result. And then on the other side, there's a we did some wholesaling stuff to some boutiques. And we learned that we need to change a few things. But also, one of the things that holds us back is, on the wholesale side, is we don't put a bunch of stuff into the thing so it can last six, eight months to a year. And to wholesale a lot, that's what people are looking for. Because they don't want to order frequently. But with us, we have to. Uh, okay, okay, gotcha, we just gotcha. choose not to do that. We choose to make it more frequently than over making a lot and then not having to make anything for eight, nine weeks and then making it again. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna use this analogy for that because uh, it's a place I refuse to eat anymore. It's uh, it, you can tell when something's got all that preservative stuff yeah. in there for that longer shelf life. I can't. I don't put a lot of salt on food, but man, I refuse to go eat at Ruby Tuesdays anymore because everything feels like it's been yeah. made to last ten years because of the sodium content. And I know, and you can just tell the difference with that freshness in those types of mm -hmm. things at, at other places. To at least to me. But then you got to be really fine-tuned in on how much your supply, how much you have in your supply, and really knowing the numbers of the business. Because I keep thinking about that, that Lamar Marie would be a, a good target <laughs> for uh, Marcus Lamonis and the Prophet. Yeah, I love that show. Familiar with that show. Yeah. You know, come in. All right, man. Yeah. yeah. Watch your margins. Show me your numbers. Yeah. The store yeah. set up. There's no workflow to come in there. It feels if yeah. you watch particularly some of the candy shop ones. That you would be fine-tuned to, yeah, you know, to be able to And every to time I'm about to change something, and this is <laughs> right now because we're going to do a big, like, changing period of stuff in the store specifically. And I joke with Chris. I'm like, I'll just sit there and be like, what would Marcus do? What would he do? And then sometimes <laughs> I go back and rewatch some of those episodes. that I like the candy shops or, like, the child or whatever. Like, I'll go back and rewatch some of those episodes. Man, okay, let me get my mind. Where do we go? Okay, we need to do this and this. You know what I mean? Here's a list of things. What can we do? Let's hone down this. Because obviously they, they have a little bit more budget for all these big changes all at the same time than we do. we got to be a little bit more specific. But, yeah, I go back to that all the time, man, because it's so true. And I've been to one of those candy stores. You remember the – yeah, you remember the From dude? The I think they were in Jacksonville, Florida. And uh, he was a candy maker. It was him and his wife in this little small space. They had a partner, and then he got rid of that partner yes. and put him in a bigger space. And then when they did like a circle back episode or checking on whatever, they actually put him in this giant space, multi level. They were doing candy making club. That's in Jacksonville. They because they they brought him yeah. back to help in other episodes, and they used other pe and they, I think they used other people that had different services. Yeah, like a signage, something like he oh, brought okay. one of his sign guys. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think they did the lights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that episode. The light guys. Because the dude yeah, like crazy hair yeah. that I'm jealous That's of. That's one of my, that dude is one of my favorite <laughs> dudes. And that those episodes that have his shop were some of my favorite episodes. Yeah, we were in Jacksonville for an event. And it didn't click till I saw the episode later. 
where they were building out the space that they're in now in Jacksonville. Like we were, it's across from where we were, and I was like, "What are they doing?" Okay. And, and it, it, it said the name in the candy store, and it's Pete something or other. And I was like, "Oh, okay, cool." And then later, when I saw, it, I was like, "Holy crap!" That was a freaking place we was right across from. And I'm like looking, trying to look in the windows and all that, being a stalker, <laughs> psycho. That's what, man, I love that freaking episode, man. I love that show all together. Like, you can't, if you don't nerd out on some aspect, you got to nerd out on some aspect of business, like really nerd out. You don't got to freaking do nerd out on every single thing. But there's got to be one or two things you just really nerd out on. And then you lean on other people to be experts in the rest or something like that. But like that part, I just nerd out on. And that's the and quite honestly, it's the reason why I want to do the podcast this way because there are certain things that I just find interesting or curious about how other business. That's the reason why yeah. the show like the profit exists in all these different market spaces with their stuff. And I think they're usually, I don't know how mm-hmm. often they're really around the services based. They're more product. And in my case, is similar of going. I'm not going to come in an expert yeah. in the popcorn. I don't know what the margins are and stuff like that. Where you're going to learn some of that background on the back. But they throw those numbers up on the screen. I just like having those conversations about making that work because or how that works in your industry, because maybe every time I have a conversation, whether anybody hears this or not, I can take away and go, oh, yeah, I need to be reminded of that something I forgot. Or there's a new tidbit in my conversation, even if it only benefits me. And hopefully I can provide maybe a thing to whoever I'm talking to as well. And that's the reason why, you know, doing this to me has been fun and, and just love having the conversations. So. I'm gonna. I'll spin this into kind of like the last little thing. So we've talked about the the gourmet boutique setting up the premium thing. So you got your online store traffic, you've got your walk-in traffic to the store, and then you've got your events. One of the things that, and this is something I don't know, is how often people actually are repeat customers. It's not that thing of going, man, I'm gonna run out of toilet paper. Toilet paper. It's you know. So being able to get re- that repeatable revenue. What do you have in there that's more that's yeah. that predictable, repeatable revenue? What type of initiatives are you taking to try to get those repeat customers that you count on month in, month out, quarterly out, where you go, at least this segment of my business is, there may be a dry spell of events in January, for instance, mm-hmm. for the freaking Christmas crash or something like that. And there may not be as, I don't know, I'm just saying, protecting yeah. that. I know other people that do retail, they experience a crash in January a little bit. But do you have in place to sit there and try to start building a very loyal yeah, following. I mean, for us, we just base. try to look at the numbers. That's why loyalty programs exist, really. I mean, they do service the customer, but they also just serve as a data point for the business, especially depending on what point of sale you use. Online is easy, but there's some software we have. But 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 it but is that I guess specifically is that what that VIP club is aimed at? Is there most ardent fans that go i like your pop and that's something from you yeah. on the business you go i really want to expand yeah, the that vip program is one of those and we do we want to grow that too there's that's one of the things that's on the list once we take care of some other bigger things that need to trickle down today because we kind of launched that and then learned that there was a couple other bigger things we should have done first but we didn't so now we're trying to do that and then come back down to the vip but yeah the things we do that's why we cycle the flavors and if you look at the data, there's people that you'll see them only in certain seasons. You see almost everybody at Christmas time. That's uh-huh. the other thing. The more new customer we, customers we can get throughout the year, the more we do in the fourth quarter every year. Because almost everybody comes back. We'll see. If you made one purchase as a customer throughout the year, 
you we see eighty percent of those people come back around Christmas time when we do big holiday pushes and stuff like that. So it's because you're like collecting. You've got their emails. Yeah. You're pushing out a newsletter. Or, hey, it's you need to get yeah. your Christmas orders in by now so we can make yeah, sure. It's yeah, yeah. So it's we had the, just the basis of those programs to get people back, and then we just look at the numbers because that's how we do our projections too. Yeah, yeah. For the uh, next one. Okay. So then each year you're going. All right, we did X amount this year. Or we want to see. A 10% growth yeah. here, a 15% growth there. This program didn't work or this flavors yeah. didn't work, so we're going to ditch these and try something else or just increase produ- production well, ones that well, already are the top yeah, ones. Yeah. And we obviously we want to be better and better and better, and we have to be if we're just going to keep growing. We're not, we're not nowhere near where I want to consider to be like the spot where we like, all right, we're good right here. This is where it's going to hover. You know what I mean? We want to err on, err on. What's I don't know what it I is. I never yes. heard anybody talk but, about this. You know, we ain't there. I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you that. So, and for anybody looking to potentially start up something, particularly, I don't. I would say this is. Uh, it's not necessarily limited to food based, but a couple of these things probably are. When you start out, you're still on a nonstop learning curve. You got to make sure, and this is me just regurgitating, make sure that you've defined your avatar. This is something I've really personally been going through recently, going, I know what I've got is good. I just need to make sure I'm telling it to the right people and I'm in the right place to do that at. So you're able to really define who your customer is going is Mm -hmm. or is going to be so you can make sure that everything else is on message. And then expect some things to be yeah. to come in cycles. I would say particularly yeah. in, re- in retail. I've seen that with other people I know that have different things. So for anybody, did you take, and this is something we didn't touch, as a veteran, were there any programs that you took advantage of that are that were related to veteran members that others may not be aware of that could be military members looking to start their own business? Because I know there's a lot of push to get more veterans to try to get their ideas off launch. Uh, is there anything that you're familiar with? There are a couple that you, or that you used. That I became aware of like last year or two years ago and i remember when i first was starting they were like oh veterans you can just oh you're a veteran you can just blah 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 for this thing and i'm like okay let me look it up and yeah there are things for veterans but it doesn't override automatically all the other stuff you still need so some stuff you just still don't even qualify for there's there wasn't there might be one now there wasn't like a startup veterans thing where okay you're a veteran we'll lower the what we normally look for a little bit to get you in or whatever it wasn't that it was basically just saying what would you need if you just went into a bank it was like yeah i need a commercial line of credit or a commercial credit card they would say okay you need all these boxes and then they would just put veteran on top nothing changed with the boxes you need to have checked you know what i mean and i can't remember off the, the name of it the abbreviation off the top of my head there is one now and it, it's their job you got to get into the organization where it's their job to send you stuff because you can't find it you can't really find it on your own or you could and it would just take up a massive amount of time and i think one of them is if you go to your local sbdc small business economic development yeah if you go to your local one SBDC. they know like they know the veteran, because there's an offshoot, and it's usually a, it's the one I'm affiliated with is a state one. There's a little offshoot that they could give you a contact name for, and then that person will be like, oh, here's this resource and this resource. That's the way we ended up having to do instead of trying to search it all ourselves. We just went there. They said, oh, you're a veteran. Here's two people you need to talk to that are like regional, and then those people know local. 
So there's a couple like things in Richmond that refer to me from the people who are the regional or like the national versions. Yeah, I'll, I'll piggyback on that, and you can go. Anybody listening can go check out my conversation with John Holden, who's the economic development director for Stafford County, Virginia. And they, the local government, also has uh, mm-hmm. programs. I can't speak to the veteran stuff, but the SPDC. Each community has one, or there'll be somebody that is familiar with the local one. When I was on the in Culpeper County doing the Chamber of Commerce stuff, the rep would always come talk to the board members and things of that nature from the local community. And then I found out, particularly with speaking with John in Stafford, that there that the local community and the local economic development is there and should have programs as well for anybody looking to do yeah. start up, expand a business, looking for additional resources. Yeah, it is as well. Man, this is no, nah, this is this has been good getting a little behind the scenes on how the popcorn business works and like I said, <laughs> yeah. I'm obviously biased. Yeah. We're friends. Your stuff is good and me as well as I do. Yeah. I thought your yeah. stuff was yeah. butt. I would tell you yeah. it was butt and it is not. It is awesome. Don't get me wrong. I've got my favorite flavors. You need to bring back s'mores, yeah. um, chicken and waffles. S'mores is coming back. Yeah, yeah, it is. S'mores, s'mores is coming back. Sure that's yeah. the seasonal one. Yeah, yeah. And we're gonna we're gonna flip going. s'mores in this season. Yeah. We bring back regular up. s'mores, and then we got the s'mores remix coming out in the fall too. Yeah, okay, yeah. I'll be on the lookout for that. But for anybody wanting to either reach out and connect with you directly or uh, check out what's the what's the yeah if you want to hit us up for anything rva at lamar marie that's the email address to send an email to and then we'll be able to answer your question if it needs to come directly to me it will get forwarded to me and then any other we take messages from everything instagram facebook whatever i put my little doodad down in there at rylan jones is my personal one or at lamar marie is our social media handle pretty much across all platforms yeah and I'll throw this in there one last time. Get one, buy one, get one yeah, half yeah, off. Yeah, yeah, use that code. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate man. it, man. <laughs>